welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, I'm Matt Hansen. And I'm Tristan Riddell. And you're listening to the Nerd Party. Talk nerdy to me. Welcome to Nerd Party. This is episode 37. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, downloading everything that you do for us and going to the nerdparty.com. Please go to the nerdparty.com as much as you can and uh, check out our blog feature and please comment. And you can also go to our Facebook page, which is located conveniently at facebook.com slash the nerdparty. Now, Matt, today we are talking about something near and very dear to my heart. And uh, I think is uh, a, 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 on everybody's minds in, right now. In, in a podcast far, far away, you might say. <laughs> yes, that's right, folks. If you guessed it, this week we are talking about Star Wars. And if unless you've been living underneath a rock lately, Star Wars The Force Awakens is coming out December 18th. We're recording this on the 12th. So that is just a few days away. And people are, I have to imagine, like, because I'm just getting back into Star Wars, but you, Tristan, a lifetime Star Wars fan, everybody's on the edge of their seat because December 14th, which is this Monday, the film is going to have its first screening in L.A. for the public and for the press. It's been kept so under wraps at this point. But Monday, people will know whether or not this movie is good. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... A couple days ago, maybe even maybe even a little bit more than that, I uh, I deleted the Twitter app from my phone and downloaded Tweetbot, and because Tweetbot has functions where you can mute conversations, you can mute hashtags and you know words and everything like that. Everything related to Star Wars and The Force Awakens, I have put into my Twitter uh, mute buttons because I do not want a single thing spoiled. You're gonna have a really hard time because. We'll just spoil it for our listeners. We're going to do something out of the ordinary for you all because this is one of the year's most highly anticipated, if not the most highly anticipated release of this year. We are going to break our bi-weekly tradition. We're going to review the the first six Star Wars films on this podcast, and then we'll be coming to you next week after Tristan and I have seen The Force Awakens. So you're going to get two nerd parties two weeks in a row. That's right. Um, but uh, it's going to be hard for you because Tristan is doing his old man Sunday screening, so that means he <laughs> he has to avoid it the whole weekend. I am going. I That's just have true. to. Av- I just have to avoid it for twelve twenty four hours because I'm not going Thursday night. I'm going Friday night. Yeah, I uh, I'm just not going to be able to go. Even though I have it muted on uh, on my phone, there's no way that I can go on social media after the 18th. It's just not possible. Yeah. So if you, if you follow Tristan at all. Uh, he might be missing for a few days. Yeah, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put some posts on there saying like, "Hey, I'm not dead. Don't unfollow me. I'm just taking it easy until I see it on Sunday." But you're right. I am doing the old man the old man showing because I am an old man. But we have a lot of movies to talk through. Yeah. Now the the the, que- the eternal question that still is fought among Star Wars fans today, Tristan, do we start with the original trilogy or do we go in numerical order? I say we go in the order in which they were released. That's whenever I marathon. That's usually the or- order that I really prefer. I mean, and that goes for almost anything. So, I mean, so the you Star pref- Trek, Planet of the Apes, every everything. So you prefer ending on crap? Well, actually, we're going to be ending on hope. Is what we're going to be ending. And by when I mean hope, I don't mean a new hope. I mean a newer hope because we're going to be ending with the anticipation 
of The Force Awakens. Uh, very well. Okay, so let's start. Let's go all the way back to 1977. 1977 feels like so long ago. Uh, episode 4, A New Hope. Both titles that were not there when it was released in 1977. No, and to this day, I know some Star Wars fans who stalwartly refuse it to call call it Episode Four or New Hope. They just call it Star Wars. Yeah, it's uh, it, and that's what it is. I mean, like I I'm not high strung about Star Wars at all. I'm really not. I know that there are a lot of things that Lucas says that he planned on doing that are not true, and that he he kind of retroactively you know, changes things, uh, uh, even his own words and his own stance on things. I don't care. I'm not uptight about it. You can do what he wants. Uh, I call it a new hope. I call it episode four. I call it Star Wars. Whatever whatever floats your boat. So when was the first time you saw Star Wars? Shockingly, um, the first time I saw Star Wars, it was after I had already seen Star Trek. I, I think for a lot of people these days, it's the other way around. But uh, I first saw Star Wars, if we're talking A New Hope, in the theater during the re-release in 97. That was the first time I saw it. I was That would have put made me uh, eight at the time. Eight. Nice, nice. So it, it was actually a good long while, relatively speaking, because I know a lot of people that get into it even sooner than that. But my dad took me because I wanted to see it, and the advertising was all over the place. And, yeah, at eight years old, I really ended up loving it and then saw the – other two uh, movies, not in the, the, the re-release theater, but I rented the, um, you know, untinkered editions that were available at Blockbuster at the time. I, uh, <laughs> I, I was, a like you said, like this, this has been, uh, I've been a hardcore fan for my entire life. I, my, my dad was a huge, a huge Star Wars fan. I, I don't know why I'm using past tense. He is a, a huge Star Wars fan. And so um, I was exposed to it at a very young age. Very, very young. I, I think I was four. I think I think I was four, and because we had the, um, my dad had whenever Star Wars was released, he would buy the home media, uh-huh. and so I thankfully had the glory of the original theatrical editions on VHS. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, those were those were the versions I was exposed to as a child, and those were the versions that I watched the most. Uh, so, and nowadays I count myself lucky. Back then, I had no idea how lucky I was, and it was yeah, and I just. I have such – whenever you talk to someone about Star Wars, and they get nostalgic because it's – it is we we were all – most of us were introduced to it as children. And, you know, we I, I have a special relationship with my father, and this was one of the things – one of the many things that we bonded over, Star Trek, James Bond, Star Wars. And uh, what a, the one memory that always comes into play – and every single time I watch a film that has subtitles or a foreign film that has subtitles or anything like that, um, it makes me think back to when I didn't know how to read when I was watching Star Wars. And so whenever Jabba the Hutt came on the screen, my dad would always translate <laughs> Jabba the Hutt for me like C-3PO because I couldn't read the subtitles. And it and he would always do it in this very overdramatic, you know, oh, 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 voice. Yeah. <laughs> And it, my dad has a deep voice to begin with, and it was it was just so much fun. So, like, when I think back to being a young Star Wars fan, that's what I think of. Me and my dad hanging out in my basement, watching Star Wars, and him, you know, obviously this, you know, like, Jabba wasn't in the first one, but, you know, I, I watched them all at once, and yeah. 
I kind of wish, you know, that's the one regret I have with Star Wars, and maybe it's holding me back as much as, as everyone else being being so enthused, because I don't have that same nostalgia. I saw it as a kid and really loved it as a kid, and I played the what would have been the current games at the time, which were the N64 games. I had uh, Shadows of the Empire and Rogue Squadron. I loved playing oh, yeah. those. But I just don't have that sense of nostalgia that everyone else does, and I know that's anathema for people to hear. But it's actually grown on me in recent years, and I think having rewatched, especially the original trilogy now in the run-up to The Force Awakens, now I, I really... I, I can't call it nostalgia because it hasn't been sitting with me long enough, but I've really grown to appreciate at least the the original three films a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I really like how with you and I, we have so many similar interests, but yet we ha- we always have different stories behind them, you know, about like how we got exposed to them and how we felt about them at the at the time that we were exposed to them and how we feel about them now. I, uh, with with A New Hope, was there a character that you identified with more? I mean, like most, you know, most, I, I can... You know, as a young boy, I can't speak for everyone, but as a young boy, I felt like most young boys, uh, you know, associated themselves with Luke Skywalker. You know, he was the young one. He, you know, was in a podunk town and wanted to get out of there. Did you identify with anyone? Well, in New Hope? well, a couple things. First off, I, I, as a kid, and I think this was kind of meant for the younger audiences, I really bonded with uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 in A New I Hope. See. Because you know they were they were they were the funny characters, and at eight years old are the characters that are the most entertaining. But even at eight years old, our, our listeners and you especially know me pretty well now, and you know that I have a very very snarky sense of humor. So I was immediately drawn to Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Mm-hmm. I I could have pegged you as as a as a Han as a a, so, a Soloite. I I was very much when I was a kid. I was very much a Luke Skywalker fan. You know, like I. That's not you to know, say I, I don't like Luke Skywalker. I really do, well, but like no, no. I just I could, but just knowing you and you know and everything that you just said, I like it totally makes sense that you're you're a solo fan. I am today. I am much more of a solo fan than I am a Luke Skywalker fan because going back and watching you know, New Hope, you realize how freaking whiny Luke can be. <laughs> he can be, but you know what? I never th- it never crossed into prequel le- level territory of whiny for me because he is supposed to be a very young kid. He's probably mm-hmm. what seventeen, eighteen really i know mark hamill was older but that's that's what i peg him as um so you know i i forgive that because he's he's just young and wanting adventure and it never got really annoying it was always within the levels of understandable i i completely agree yeah when i i love luke's i still love luke um but yeah i loved him even more when i was a kid i would wear the one black glove you know like running around the house and my my sister would call me Michael Jackson. I'm like, no, I'm Luke Skywalker. But we'll talk about it. His his character growth between just A New Hope and Empire and Jedi, he he becomes a totally different person. And actually, by the end, by the time we get to Jedi, I really love Luke Skywalker. I liked him in New Hope, but I love him by Jedi. His arc is very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's underappreciated, and we don't talk about it enough in the in the sci-fi community. But like you said, we'll get to that. So, you know, obviously A New Hope changed the, changed the world. I mean, we're not here to talk to you about the history of Star Wars. We're not here to talk to you, you know, about stuff that you already know about. Right, I mean, and we don't have to... Interesting. I feel at this point, the, these films, especially this original trilogy, are so ingrained in our culture that we don't have to go through the basic plot of any of them. We've all seen them. Yeah, we've all seen them. We all know that they changed the world. And I... It's really funny because my wife is a huge Star Wars fan, and I love her to death for it. 
and it makes life easier. It really does. Now, if only I could get her to be a Trekkie, uh, but that's uh, that's a long ways away. But she, um, it was so funny because when we were dating, uh, we, you know, we were going through family photos together, and I came across one of her dressed up as Princess Leia when she was a young kid, like around ten or something like that. And I just looked at her and I was like, "We're going to be married." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, we talked a little bit about Solo, we talked a little bit about Luke, but I think Princess Leia is another character where I think people kind of forget because she's sort of portrayed as, as kind of at the beginning of A New Hope as your classic damsel in distress type. Mm-hmm. But as the movie goes, and especially by the time we get to the two sequels, I really enjoyed this character. I mean, and I love Carrie Fisher so crazy in real life. If you've ever seen her be interviewed or if you, I swear to God, I, the biggest recommendation I have for any Star Wars fan is to hunt down it's out there on YouTube, her one woman show called Wishful Drinking that she did like five years ago. It is hilarious. I've never laughed more at a at a HBO special than I have at that show that she did. And if you can't watch the whole thing, if you can't get a, a hold of a copy of the whole thing, at least watch the Star Wars segment. Oh, you've seen it? Oh, oh yeah. Hell yeah, I've seen it. It's hysterical. It's amazing. She is so, she's such a good writer. She's such a good performer. And she's and so willing to make fun of herself, which I, love. I Yeah, I, that's why it's so funny because she goes along with the joke. You know, she understands, like she gets her career and her place in pop culture. She she knows that she's very self-aware. And yes, yeah, so go on YouTube, find the Star Wars segment. It is hilarious. But she but, but but about the character of Leia herself, I mean, what do you think? I I I mean, I fall in love with her. I mean, I always I already kind of liked her from the beginning, but the instant I remember falling in love with her as a kid is when, you know, they're having the shootout in the Death Star um prison corridor. And yes. she she grabs the gun from Luke and starts firing herself you know, into the garbage, you fly boy. Yeah. But, yeah. It's like, somebody's got to save our skins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, she's a very much, I think, an understated feminist icon. I I believe that whenever we talk about strong women in film, you know, we, you know, we, we talk about the Ripley's, you know, we talk about the, 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 the Sarah Connors and everything like that, but maybe it's my own ignorance maybe i'm not seeing it maybe it's out there and i'm just not seeing it but i feel like princess leia doesn't come up in the conversation enough it she doesn't but at the i think she's starting to get more recognition as you know we're, we're especially since we're revisiting these films everybody's revisiting these films as we're going mm-hmm. as we're building up to force awakens um i think because it wasn't as drastic at the time i mean it fit the times perfectly mm-hmm. but you know Ripley and Sarah Connor, I mean, they, they took it to a whole nother level. And, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I, I agree. I think that Leia is a great uh, feminist feminist uh, figure and, you know, started down that road. It's, it's kind of like, um, if we're switching franchises for a second, it's kind of like what Nichelle Nichols did in the original series. When you look back on it now, it's very, very, you know, she's relegated to being a secretary. But at the time, that was the right progressive statement to make. You, you get yeah. what I mean? I, I get I get what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. And with this one, I I think I know that every film is a collection of moments, and that it's such a general statement. But with Star Wars in 1977, it's never been a, a truer statement than that because we all know about the detention level. We all know about the Millennium Falcon escape. We all know about the trash compactor. We all know about 
the the trench run. You know, we we all know about the the bar scene. We all, you know, like everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. I just have to give like sometimes one word descriptors, and it's just it's go. This movie goes from moment to moment to moment. It's so well edited, so well paced, and so well written, and it's it's iconic because it uses it uses old tropes and old storytelling techniques in a very new and fun, interesting way. And that's what made it so unique at the time and, and you know, it really uh, up to the blockbuster potential back in 1977. And, I, you know, before we move off and go to Empire, because I, I feel that we should because we got five other movies. <laughs> yeah. But um, my mom tells this story because, you know, this is well before I was born. But my, my mom and dad were dating at the time in 1977. And she tells me that she took my dad to go see this movie and they ended up waiting in line for so long. And my dad has little patience for waiting in any sort of line. I mean, he, he really doesn't. And he's, <laughs> my mom says, it's the one movie I took him to on a date where he turned to me and says, this movie had better be worth it. <laughs> this movie had better be good. And so, you know, it, it you know, my, he's, he was kind of kidding with her, of course, but, that that stuck out to her in her mind whenever she thinks of the first movie. Yeah, that's that's so funny because he's like, yeah, this movie better be one of the best films ever made. And oh well, it was what a quinky. Thankfully, yeah, thankfully. All right, as you said, we should we should move on to Empire Strikes Back. Nineteen eighty, three years later. I, I you know I I know I echo, echo many sentiments of Star Wars fans, but having just rewatched it again, uh, easily my favorite of the original trilogy, easily. The- this this movie this had uh we don't exactly know you know the 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 real budget like we we know that it's between 18 and 33 million and with the first one they had a budget of 11 and it got a box office of 775 and this got a box office of f- 534 million and so that is definitely less but at the same time, you know, like why today's standards, we say, oh, well, if it doesn't make more money than the original, then it's not a success. No, this movie, this altered things. This this altered the perception of sequels, of sci-fi, of what it can be, and it altered the, the realm of the franchise. Because, you know, George Lucas, he very much wanted Star Wars to be a kid's film. He, he wanted it to be a kid's story. And if you look at A New Hope, it's totally a movie that kids can enjoy. But he's going to say that again when we get to the prequel trilogy, and I think the difference yes. is, is that he for, he fails to realize that the way that Star Wars A New Hope is, it can appeal to kids, but it doesn't have to be pandering to them. And it's, it's exactly a, it's a it's a it's a story that all ages can enjoy. Yeah, and this is yeah exactly this this is the thing is that this is a film that all ages can enjoy in the pure sense of the term. And because there are so many times, like you and I, when we were growing up in the 90s, there was such a thing as a family film where all ages could enjoy it. Now family films are just kids films. And it's annoying as hell. Well, but unless, this... unless you're Pixar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless you're Pixar. Um, but, you know, like Star Wars, he said, you know, it, it, you know, he wanted it to be a kids film. But you're absolutely right that it's definitely geared towards all ages. But what I was trying to say was that once we get to Empire... We move way past that. I, I think kids can still enjoy it, obviously, but we're definitely moving more towards the adult side of the spectrum. I will say if you're a kid, though, you miss a lot of the nuance because I do remember watching Empire at the time when I was eight, 
and it was it was actually my least favorite of the trilogy because it was the slowest moving to me yeah. as a kid. Yes, yes. Watching it now as an adult, I was an idiot as a kid because it's layered with so much more nuance, so much more character building, so much more universe building, and it's dark, and I love that. You're, you're, it is so true. You're absolutely right. When I watched this one, like my dad had to convince me to watch Empire. Like, it's not that I didn't love it, but it's just like, it like we would say like, oh, we have one, you know, we, we only have two hours before we have to go to the thing. You know, which Star Wars one do you want to watch? He's like, I want to watch Empire. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to watch that one. If I had to choose, I would choose something else. And it's the exact same reason. It's just the, the nuances, the, the world building, the, the performances, the subtlety. It was completely lost on a child, but as an adult, you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is almost a perfect film. I mean, as much as he would try, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the one that Lucas had the least involvement in. Do you know this? I I can't say exactly, uh, but he definitely, he has nowhere near the amount of involvement that he did with A New Hope, obviously. Because it was directed by Irvin Kershner, produced by Gary Kurtz. The screenplay was by Brackett and Kasdan, and it just says that Lucas developed the story. I mean, he wasn't yeah, even technically I mean, a producer on this one, so I think you're right. I don't know when Lucas made his flip, but uh, given his sensibilities now, I would think that he had very little involvement with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, it, it's just... I would say it's it, it's a perfect sequel. It really is. And um, contains my favorite moments of... of Probably the whole series up to this point. Yeah, this uh, this movie, I think when you think great sequels, you think Godfather Part Two, and Empire Strikes Back. That's what you think of. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, you can't count Empire as a sequel because it's part of a planned trilogy. I still consider that a sequel. And I don't know if it was part of a planned trilogy because I think that, you know, Star Wars was a big phenomenon, but I, I don't know if you could bet on lightning striking twice. You certainly can't in the, these day and age, you know. Well, so, what, when they when people say plan trilogy, it means that George wanted to make more. and But that doesn't mean that the, you know, Fox knew that they were going to make more. But see, and, and I, I still don't. I still take that with a grain of salt because George's intentions, quote unquote, have been have been so distorted and muddled mm-hmm. over time by him, no less. By him, yeah. That uh, I don't know what was real and what wasn't real, but I think it was sort of a risk to 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 um, double down on this film, but it ended up working so well. I want. I just did a rewatch of these films not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, and it is so it is staggering the difference between A New Hope. An empire, like when you watch them back to back, it the the aesthetic is different, the feeling is different, the look is different. I, I, like Darth Darth Vader, like everything about it is much more polished, and it's just so cool because you can tell, ooh, they got an upgrade. I, but I want to make a clear distinction: it's it's different, but it's not jarringly different, and that's important. No, it's pleasingly different. It is it like when when that op- when we get to the when when we get to the in, inside of the star destroyer everything is much cleaner lines i mean it's it's just so different from the the death star that we saw in the first one to the star destroyer that we saw in the second one it's just i just loved everything was crisper and, and i really appreciated it and i don't know if it's if it's you or me and I, I and i don't mean this as a slight against any of the actors performance in episode 4 because i think they still did phenomenally but 
I get the sense when watching Empire, especially from our main three leads, everybody's more enthusiastic. Everyone acts with more enthusiasm because I think they know that they're no longer part of this unknown gamble that could turn out horribly. Everyone kind of feels like they know their character. Everyone feels like they're into it more. Is that just me or does that come across to you too? No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. This is actually well documented too. I think it's two main reasons as to why the acting is better in this. And the, the, the first main reason is exactly what you said. These actors now know, oh, wow, we just, you know, we were a part of something fantastic. We had no idea what we were getting into, but thankfully, you know, it, they pulled it off. And so they have more enthusiasm in this one. And the second one is Irvin Kirshner. Yeah. He is an actor's director. Exactly. Whatever, whatever you think of George Lucas, and I'm not here to bash George Lucas. There's things I like and there's things I don't like, but I'm not going to bash him. But he is definitely not an actor's director. He said so as much himself. Exactly. And like in Harrison Ford has been very honest about it, where he said he's like, he's like, yeah, when we were filming A New Hope, he, you know, we'd ask him certain questions actor type questions and he would go he would just stare at us blankly and go what are you talking about it's on the page just do what's on the page that's not how you talk to an actor and Irvin Kirshner knew how to get good performances out of his actors for sure but everything is on point this year this time you know this is the movie where we get introduced to Yoda who quickly becomes a fan favorite and um Certainly Frank Oz's performance is much more enthusiastic in these films than I feel that he is in the prequels, but that's a discussion we'll have a little bit later <laughs> on in the show. Yeah. But, um, you know, I love the, you know, I, I didn't realize how kind of um, cl- clever it was to have that kind of character where, you know, a small and diminutive character who's really presented as a fool for the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes that he's introduced and have him be this sort of wise sage. But it, it really works without coming across as goofy, which, you know, ha- you know, big round of applause for that um we get billy d in this uh yeah in this um in this lando lando calrissian who you know there there isn't there hasn't been a cooler cucumber of an actor ever to be portrayed on screen before or since um it's a shame that he's not in the force awakens i'm hoping we'll get either an explanation or maybe an appearance in episode eight but uh Something, just a nod or something. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm hoping that it's one galactic joke and he's actually in it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for that. I, I don't think I'm right, but I'm hoping for it. We'll see. But what I really noticed this time going through Empire is just how much John Williams is on point this episode. And he's always on point, oh. but like I think that the score of Empire is the best of the three movies. And certainly my favorite score moment of the entire saga so far comes in Empire with the chase through the asteroid field. That music that plays during the asteroid field chase is my favorite piece of music from the entire Star Wars story. John Williams is absolutely amazing. And, you know, we've we've talked about this several times before. But the thing that John Williams did with this is that he didn't just you know, like replicate the stuff that he did before and then alter it a little bit for the scenes. He, you knew that he got the movie. You knew that he understood what was different and what was the same. And he changed himself accordingly. And it's just, he gave us a mind-blowing product. And something I did not realize, I could, I would have swore to you it was not this way, but uh, that Imperial March... Nowhere to be found in the first movie. It comes no. in an empire. And I would have swore that was from the beginning, but I didn't know it came from the second movie. And it's so iconic, I was like, well, that must be in the whole series. Nope. 
We like when we first see Darth Vader, we get an entirely different piece of music. That blew my mind watching it this time. I remember I was remembering an entirely different thing for so many years. It was crazy. So, what do you? What was one of your favorite moments from Empire? Before we move on to Jedi. Well, the asteroid field chase is one of my favorite moments, hands down. But I also think that, and as much as you know, modern day action fans want to disagree with me. I think that the lightsaber fight that happens in Empire between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, even though it's not the most amazingly choreographed, is the most emotionally powerful scene of the uh, lightsaber duel of the entire franchise thus far. I, I, I'd, ha- I'd have to disagree with you on that one because I th- I th- in my personal opinion, I think the lightsaber battle in Jedi is way more emotionally powerful. That comes a close second, but... I, um, I I don't know. I, I like seeing them. I, I think it would add to the suspense because I think it's a little bit more suspenseful for me, uh, mm-hmm. even though the, the Jedi one is suspenseful as well. But I like seeing what what's clearly a kind of a uh, an outmatched Luke Skywalker fi- fighting a very expert Darth Vader on yeah. uh, in Jedi. They're more equally balanced because by that time he's become a master himself. But this is his first head-to-head with him. And so that really uh, packed a more suspenseful punch just for me. But I do like the one in Jedi. So I think, it, I think it's a tie for me uh, of favorite moments because I love it when we, when we first get Yoda in Empire. I, just, I love the Yoda character. I love the puppet. Watching Empire again, you're just like, wow, that puppet work is amazing. And it looks and real. It looks so real and tangible. And I miss it. I miss puppetry. And um, I think it's that and the, and the lightsaber duel between Vader and uh, and Luke is, is, you know, it's just, it's so great. The locations, you know, the the rooms that the rooms that they're in, the, the way they utilize the rooms, the choreography is all fantastic. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get better than that scene. All right. So, Jedi. Whew. Return of the Jedi came out in 83. So, we got three-year increments with these, with the original trilogy. Right, and so you know, Empire ends on a very down note. So where do they go from there? Yes, I mean that that's really that's really interesting because as a kid or as a first time watcher, you know, like when you when you watch Empire, you're like, oh wait, well, they're playing kind of happy music, and you know, like they're you but, know like everybody is kind of okay. You, you think but about it though, where they, are we going to go from here? You think about it though, they kind of lost. I mean, nothing really got accomplished, and we lost Solo. Mm-hmm. We so. lost Solo. Lando lost the Cloud City, and yeah, you know, Luke lost his hand. Yeah, and got the you know, of course, bombshell that Vader's his father. Which I understand that when when the movie first came out, people were speculating for those three years of whether or not Vader was telling the truth. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I forgot about that. Yeah, while that was going on, people were like, "Could he be lying? Is Obi Wan really the bad guy?" Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's it, like I I would love to have. I, like, it's time, one of those right? times that I would be like, it would have been interesting to see what the internet said during that time. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. I don't need to know what the internet would have said. No, but uh, we we do get definitive answers in Jedi. So, uh, what were what were your kind of first impressions of of the movie? See, um, it's funny because we were talking about when I was eight. This is the one I wanted to watch the most, and I'm looking back on it now, and I, I again, I'm kind of kicking myself because, although I don't think it's a bad film, it's it's definitely ranked number three in my ranking of the original trilogy. 
I loved Jedi as a kid, and I still do. I still I, like it a lot. I really do. For the longest time, I had no idea which one I liked more, Empire or Jedi. And right, like, even even today, even today, I, I freaking love Jedi. And, you know, like, it, I go back and forth kind of like I, I did for a long time with Dark Knight and Batman Begins. Um, but then I ultimately landed on Dark Knight. So I think that's how I'm going to ultimately land on Empire. Uh, but I, I, I don't get some of the hate that uh, Return of the Jedi gets from other fans. I, you know, like yes, okay, there's Ewoks, whatever. But uh, like you know, remember what I said about how you know when we go from a New Hope to Empire, everything's cleaner and richer. I think we get that even more so with Return of the Jedi. Like when Vader first steps on to the new Death Star, ever, the production value is just through the roof compared to the other two. Right. Um. I'm not saying it looks bad production-wise. I'm not even saying I dislike the film. I just think that maybe with my adult sensibilities now and how much I was really, really drawn to Empire this time, mm-hmm. having that shift back into a, a more lighter direction w- wouldn't exactly have been my personal preference on how to go with it. But you are wrapping up the story and you are having good defeat evil at the end of the day. So I get it. And I, I believe me, I harbor no ill will toward uh, Jedi and even the Ewoks, which I think most people would cite as Jedi's biggest misstep for people who don't like it. But, God, given what what we were presented <laughs> with 16 years later, we know it could get worse. So Yeah, I think people definitely overreact with Ewoks, and I think it's an easy target for people to write off a great movie. But what I do love most about Jedi, and this is something that I mentioned a few minutes earlier with when we were talking about Luke in, in the original film... His growth by the time Jedi happens is astonishing, and while I I think that you know our other characters might not get as much screen time as I would like them to, Luke as a character by the time Jedi comes around is so interesting because you even from Empire when uh, Yoda's teaching him and you know he's getting frustrated and he's telling him you ask the impossible. Uh, by the time we get to the Jedi, the impossible is no longer impossible. He's mm-hmm. he's um, confident. He, he walks with a, I don't want to call it a swagger, but he walks with an air of authority. Yeah. That you he he commands the room and he commands respect. And even if you look at his costume changes from New Hope to Empire to Jedi, we start with white, we have gray in the middle, and then we end with black. You know, it's just like he evolves as a master visually as well as actually. I mean, I, I, I loved Luke up to this point. But I would never refer to Luke as a badass until this film. This is when I think he he, yeah. he reaches the badass level for, in my book. You're, I think, I yeah, I, I like how you put that. It's is that you know in the in the first one he's relatable. You're like, oh, he's he's kind of the the he's what every kid wants to be. He wants to be they want to be picked up by a wise wise old magician who g- takes him on adventures. And in the second one, he's still kind of discovering who he is and his place in the universe. And then you have the third one where he is, you know, it's just like whenever, even when he's talking with Harrison Ford, he's like, don't worry, I've got everything covered. You know, right. like he's the one who's in command. He's the one who's saving Han. Yeah. Uh, and, and that comes through exactly when it needs to come through when we get to the final confrontation scene. And like I said, it, it the what it loses in the suspense category for me when compared to the lightsaber fight in Jedi it matches an excitement because now I feel like it's two equals going at it with each other right. uh, on an emotional and physical level. And I love how they started that emotion even before the fight happened where Luke, you know, he gives himself up and, you know, the 
the guy's just like, he was armed only with this, and he hands over his lightsaber. And that conversation, think about it. I think this gets skipped over a lot in the fandom, but that conversation between Luke and Darth Vader before he takes him up to the Death Star, that is an amazing conversation. Well it written, is. well executed, and well acted. It's you start to you start to get a glimpse and it, and it of Darth a, Vader on the inside. It ends on such an emotional note because I love that the you know the conversation where you know um, Vader says something like "It's too late for me, son," and then Luke ends it with "Then my father is truly dead." Yeah, I love. Oh my that. god! Yeah, it's it, it's a, it's amazing. I mean, the bad guy. I mean that that is how you that's how you take. A bad guy who's just pure, pure evil, and, and we don't know anything about him. Three-dimensional. And then make him three-dimensional. His journey, his arc is perfect, and that's why we didn't need to see any more. Because... I mean, and, and, and before we move off the original trilogy, because I won't get a chance to say this much again, uh, it cannot be understated how well just the voice acting of James Earl Jones sells the character in all three original films. Especially in this one when he needs to do more emotional things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he needs to do more emotion, uh, emotion, and he conveys it. And and also, you know, props to David Prowse, who did some amazing physical acting, especially in Return of the Jedi, because you mix James Earl Jones' voice with David Prowse's physical acting. And I mean, like that last scene when when the em- the Emperor is electrocuting uh, Luke, and then we see Darth Vader look at Luke, then look at the Emperor. We did not need to. We did not need to hear his voice. We didn't need you to hear mean, anything. You mean before Lucas ruined it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that like <laughs> even like we we can't even see facial expression. It's just a mask, but we know exactly what he's thinking and what he's feeling because of the buildup and the emotion and how it's framed. And for some reason, the man who created this didn't even get it. No. Nope. No, and unfortunately, my on my last rewatch because I rewatched the original trilogy twice because I had so much fun with it. On the last rewatch, I got a copy of Jedi that had the inserted no line, and I was like, it, "It's so cringeworthy. It ruins what's per- a perfectly subtle scene." I ex- yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Is like that is like so many people complain about Han shot first. Yes, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Yes, that is a huge sin. This is by far the biggest sin. That the special editions and the changes that Lucas has made out of everything. Well, speaking of sins, Tristan, we've been going on for a while, but let's skip ahead to 16 years later when uh, we were all excited. I think it was reaching fever pitch, like it much like it is now. But looking back on it, maybe Lucas should have left well enough alone. Okay, so this is this is probably the point of the podcast where some people are going to get angry and some people are going to cheer. Now. Here's the thing. You and I are going to disagree on a lot of these things because there are a lot of things that I like about the prequels. There are certain things I like about the prequels. I'm not going to be a hater on everything, but uh, rewatching them now, it's clear that they are an inferior product. I don't oh, think that's... oh, by far, by far. You, you, that's the thing is that, okay, here's the thing. When I saw it, I, I was like everybody else. You know, it was in 1999, so I was 13. This would have made me 10. And before we say anything, I'll just go ahead and say I loved it at the time. But keep in mind, I was 10. Exactly. exactly. That's what I was going to say, too, is that at the time, when I was 13, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And... I like I remember like I, you know I had my my best buddy Daniel who was a who's a bigger Star Wars nerd than I was and 
we were at a church lock-in the night before where everybody, like the whole youth group comes and they sleep yeah, over yeah, at yeah. the church and sleeping bags and everything. And, uh, you know, it was the it was the night before the release of Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. And we could not sleep. and But we were trying to sleep because we wanted to be awake for the movie. And the, everything leading up to the movie's release, the, the ad campaigns, the toys, everything was fantastic. And I, rem, like that, the reason why I think I can connect with the prequels even today is because I felt the same way, because I was still a child. And so I felt the same way about the prequels as I did the original films because I was still a child. Right. I Now, it, it's interesting because you being... I think the bigger Star Wars fan of the two of us, you've probably seen the prequels many, many times over the last however many years that they were released. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen years. I hadn't seen them for a while before I, I went back to watch them for for this review. Um, but maybe absence did not make my heart grow fonder because, like, I, I was able to separate the nostalgia that I had watching them in the theaters for the first time, and then coming back to it now at twenty six. Man, did the did the problems smack me in the face? Yeah, it's a uh, for those of us um, who <laughs> are fascinated by the prequels, whether you hate it or love it. Uh, Red Letter Media, I'm sure so many people have it's heard so of Red ingrained. Letter Media. You know, those reviews are as ingrained into my mind as the movies themselves. Maybe even more than the movies themselves. And that's the thing is that like the Red Letter Media review of Phantom Menace has revealed way more plot holes than I ever thought possible. I mean, it it boils it down to the micron of plot holes. Like as a as a kid, you just take it in and you're you're wowed by the pretty colors on the screen. But if you actually dissect it, there's so much that doesn't make sense. Even the nature of the bet between Qui-Gon Jinn and Watto, it doesn't make sense. Right. And that's how minute it gets. But even even more than just the minutiae, which it does a very good job of going into. I, I think that this is the problem that we were talking about earlier, where I think George Lucas, for whatever reason, got his mind twisted, where, you know, instead of Star Wars being a, a movie that kids, as well as adults, could enjoy, yeah, it, he twisted it to start pandering to children, which yeah. that never happened. I mean, there was no need for... Um, introducing child characters into star wars we were even us as kids we were all able to go along with luke and han and leia even though they were much older than us even though there was no children at all in a new hope we still got invested because i mean if you think about it no one wants to be a kid in the star wars universe you want to you grow up thinking you want to be han solo you know what i mean you want to be luke you want to be an adult so you can do something cool yeah, no one's fantasizing about being Jake Lloyd right. in Phantom Menace. No, like, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the, I think the reason, the reason why I can still enjoy the prequels today is because of what I've mentioned before about the nostalgia, but also because I do not compare them to the original trilogy. Because you can't. But the problem is, is that you can't not. Is, is the thing because they occur in the same universe and they're dealing with characters that, or at least certain characters that we think we know and love or want to get to learn more about. So it's hard to say that you can't ever compare them because I think the comparison begs for it to happen. And um, 
I think most of my problems stem from, you know, episode one has its problems. I found myself really, really having to white knuckle it more through episode two, though. And that's because I feel that um, George Lucas's um, faults as a director and specifically a writer come into play much more in episode two than one. Because episode two, I feel, is a is a movie that is trying to do what episode what Empire did, where it's trying to focus inward on the characters, it's trying to make us get invested, it's trying to build more backstory. But because you're dealing with someone who doesn't really get people, and specifically actors, I mean, for a movie that's predicated on liking the characters, the characters are so unlikable. And, and the dialogue is so cringeworthy that I had a much harder time with two than one. Yeah, I... Me- me as well. I mean, a lot of people, I think, um, dog on Phantom Menace just because it was the first of movie sins, the um, uh, first of a long line of movie sins from George Lucas. But Attack of the Clones, in my opinion, is the absolute worst film out of all six. But do you see the- what I mean? Like, this is a movie that needs to live and die by its dialogue because that is what's going to get you invested in these characters. And you're with, when you're dealing with someone who doesn't do actors or dialogue... Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that here, here's the thing. And like with, with what I was saying earlier is about how I don't compare them to the originals is that I see them as spinoffs in my mind where like you could be a huge fan of the original series of Star Trek and not really like Next Gen. Or you can be a huge fan of Next Gen and not really like Deep Space Nine. It's still in the same universe. Some are better than others, but you know, you, you can defer your taste a little bit. That's kind of how I see it. But to go back to what you're saying about Attack of the Clones... I when I got these on DVD and the DVDs were amazing of this because Attack of the Clones I actually did um, a uh, I did a, a I was in a speech competition and in college and I talked about how Attack of the Clones was the first movie to be a first generation DVD because it was all shot digitally mm-hmm. and so you know with you know with film you you know you shoot on film and then you transfer it to the computer you edit it and then you take the footage from the the computer and then you transfer it back to film and then you take that film and then you transfer that to DVD with you know with attack of the clones since it was all shot on hard drives you could load that footage in you know th- this is all commonplace today but this was like our, our our first taste of a first generation DVD and so I did my speech on it and that's the only good thing that I can say about it because Attack of the Clones, I, I gobbled up the DVD as much as I could be I watched every every single second of special features and there was a lot of them on there. And there are so, like, I can't believe that they released some of this information because if you pay attention, you're like, wait, they, they, they built the sets, they got the actors in the costumes, and he hadn't finished the script yet? He, uh, for Attack of the Clones, he handed them the script the day of shooting. Which shows, because, you know... Hayden Christensen aside, who, you know, you can you can criticize his acting. He looks good with his shirt off, but you can criticize his acting. The Sofia uh, Coppola. Yeah, the Sofia Coppola, exactly. But these other people, Natalie Portman, Samuel L. Jackson, Ewan McGregor, these yeah. are all good actors. I've seen them give great performances in other films. So the great fact that, actors. So the fact that they're crap in these means that something had to go on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is that George, the beauty of film – and I, I know this firsthand, so for people who, who don't think I know what I'm talking about, the beauty of film is collaboration. And it's you get people who are more experienced than you 
in a certain field to help you out. As a director or as a producer, you want a writer who's a better writer than you. You want a producer who's a better producer than you. You want a director who's a better director than you. And depending on what your perspective is. And George Lucas didn't want that anymore. He wanted his own personal pet projects. And I mean, it's it, it's his franchise, or at least it was. And so he had the right to do this, but was it the right idea? I think it was the right idea to do the prequels, but I think he should have d- focused on collaboration instead not, of... Not like this. Not like this. Yeah, I would have like... Hey, I, I think besides George Lucas doing everything wrong behind the scenes when it comes to preparation and pre-production, I think the, probably the biggest sin was Hayden Christensen. I really do. Out of all of all of the, the, the prequels, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a big factor for sure. I think that maybe something that doesn't bother other people as much but bothers me is we were talking about the Yoda puppet in... Um, <laughs> in no, I'm not talking about Yoda himself in the prequels, but we were talking about the Yoda puppet in... An empire and how tangible and how every how real everything felt. The prequels to me reek of artificiality because you're not dealing with computer real sets. You're dealing with a bunch of green screen, which yeah. I know may not be a problem for some people, but for me, it's it, it hasn't dated well. Number one, and number two, it just has this sheen that looks fake, and so you I can't get invested in in the realness of the world, which is a big buy-in for me for a sci-fi film. Yes, I I think that's the thing is that like when you look at A New Hope and Empire, specifically those first two, the universe is tangible. It's it's gritty. It's it's worn. Lived you know, in. The, Millennium, the Millennium Falcon is in very different from a from a Naboo starfighter. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Millennium Falcon is lived in. It's 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 Han and Chewie's home. It has scorch marks on the outside for being in attacks. And you look at everything from Naboo. You know, and basically everything else in the in the Star Wars universe in the prequels, everything's clean and finished and and silver and bright and and it's just it's you can't relate to it because it's too sterile, sleek, sleek, yeah, yeah. and yeah. And um, one thing that like I think with Attack of the Clones, like you said about with the dialogue and everything like that, just being so horrible, I think I think the reason why Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequels. Yeah, let's let's talk about three. Yeah, I think the reason why is that is like one thing that I found out behind the scenes is that George Lucas hired a dialogue coach for the actors. So basically, George would give his direction, and then when no one knew what the hell he was talking about, the dialogue coach would go over and say, "Try do it. Try doing it this way," <laughs> which helps in some scenes, but falls flat in others. You know. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Spe- you know, yeah. Then. In my from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. Yeah. So it can't. Yeah. It doesn't save it a hundred percent of the time, unfortunately. But, no, no, not at all. But it is the best of the prequels. It, it, you know, I, I do find some enjoyment out of it. Again, though, I, I just left feeling a little bit flat because the previous two films haven't invested me as much as I wanted to be invested in the characters. And when you're having this climactic duel that is supposed to call call for, you know, great emotional investment and distress, and we're supposed to, you know, this is the origin of, of the Empire and evil and Darth Vader, and, you know, these you, you think these would be big emotional climaxes. And I think that the reason that people find it emotionally successfully climactic is has nothing to do with the, the previous two films. It has everything to do with the nostalgia of the franchise. Nothing that he accomplished in the last two films 
makes this moment worth it. It's writing purely on nostalgia. Am I? Is that just me being cynical, or do you agree with me? No, that you, you. I was just about to say that, and you know, when <laughs> when you were talking, I was thinking about saying that, and then you just you hit it on the head. That is exactly why, like that. That is why Revenge of the Sith works is because it is the bridge between the prequels and the original trilogy, and because it's the bridge, you are leaning on like with phantom menace all all you can really gather upon is that jedis exist and darth vader will soon you know be big and badass but with revenge of the sith you don't need the previous two films you can live off of the the quote-unquote future films you know the future stories that are really in the past to us and i feel like you could skip episodes one and two and watch episode like start episode three and then move on to episode four well not only that start episode three cut about 30 minutes out of the beginning because one of my other problems with episode three is that man do they force the crossover bridge between the prequels and the and the uh original trilogy down to that last hour and um the whole betrayal and, and everything going to hell in a handbasket that could have been its own film i would have preferred that to be its own uh, film yeah yeah i think that <sighs> Yeah, the way that it was cut, and there was even more that was left out. Like there was there was more scenes between with um, Mon Mothma, the um, the redheaded woman who said many Bothans died to right. give us this information. There was a huge storyline that was cut from Revenge of the Sith involving her that yeah. you can watch in the in the deleted scenes. I mean, I'm aware, but like for me, just the pacing, like Anakin turns so quickly, is so willing to com- to commit himself yeah. so quickly. That everything that that's supposed to bridge to New Hope just feels so rushed, and so you can't really take it in. I feel like they could have started with that, with him starting to fall at the beginning of the movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um. But I okay. Here, here is my explanation. Here's here's my apologist explanation for that, and it's not very good. Um, <laughs> what what it is is like you know like yeah he falls so fast and he turns so fast. I feel like, and this is how my mom kind of warn me of evil and 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 wrong deeds and everything like that is where she always told me that she said sometimes evil can be a slow progression it can chip away at you until you find out one day that you're an old man and that you're you know a, a bad person and you've made bad decisions but she said other times if you completely open yourself up and disregard like take off the armor and completely open yourself up to evil you can change on a dime. Now, I'm paraphrasing her words. She's much wiser than what I'm making her sound. And so that's kind of how I feel what happened to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, where he opened himself up to the Emperor. He made a decision. He said, okay, I'm going to completely give myself over to you and over to the dark side. And the dark side just penetrated him and just twisted him immediately. And so where he was just a completely different person the moment he said go. And that's kind of how I excuse it in my brain. Now, I'm not saying that's good for everybody else, but it's good for me. I see where your mom's coming from. I just wish that, you know, I think all too often we call for realism in in movies, but I I think when we do so, we forget that a movie also has to work as a movie and not just a, a telling of real life. And when you see this turn, you want it to have a little bit more impact than it does. And unfortunately, the the quick turn just kind of leaves it you scratching your head where, you know, he he goes all of a sudden from feeling regretful for killing Mace Windu and yep. and then he turns himself over and then right immediately he's ready to go start uh 
cutting kids in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, again, I'm not one of those people that has a problem with the killing of kids like most people do, but that needs to, you know, if he, if we had seen this descent into pure hatred over a longer course of period of time, those murders would have had more impact on me instead of they're leaving me scratching my head that why this is happening so quickly. Yeah. I think some would argue that, uh, the sign of that was when he killed the, the rate, the Tuscan Raider village. Um, I know that was supposed to be a, 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 you know, a premonition of that sort of thing. But again, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I agree. Like, uh, I, you know, like I try to apologize for what happened in, in revenge of the Sith, but I am completely with you with how I would have preferred it if it was drawn over the course of the movie and, instead and, of the okay, last well, hour. Here, here, here's the, here's the difference between attack of the clones and that scene and then the, the child killing in the revenge of the Sith. At least those Tuscan Raiders wronged him somehow. So he was already angry at them. What did the kids do? You need to believe that yeah. he's gone crazy yeah. to start murdering children. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, there, there's so many things, so many things. But I will, will have to say that one thing that remains consistently amazing is John Williams. Um, consistently amazing, yes. I, I do find that the scores don't stand up to, out to me as much as they did in the original trilogy, except for Duel of the Fates. That's the one piece that I remember from the prequels. Other times, it's 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 good John Williams, but you know I could name th- 30 different cues from the original trilogy as standouts. And really, only I could the only one I could really think of is Duel of the Fates in the in the prequels. Well, there there's Duel of the Fates. There's the music during uh, the pod racing, and there was more than a few in Revenge of the Sith that I loved. One in particular, when um, everybody kind of has that moment where they're looking out into the sunset, where um, Anakin's looking into the sunset and Padme's looking into the sunset, mm-hmm. and they both realize that they're thinking about each other. That music is haunting and beautiful. And uh, yeah, but but yeah, of course, I mean, that's the thing is that when you compare them to the original trilogies, they're nothing. So, you know, we've kind of breezed through the, the prequels and we've talked about the original trilogy. So that leaves us where we stand next week. And I'm hopeful because the, the, the trailers certainly have given me the vibe of the original trilogy. That yes. That's unquestionable. And I know a lot of people don't like him. And I wish I understood why, because I'm not in that camp. But I don't think whatever you think of J.J. Abrams, you can't accuse him of not being an actor's director. He may not be like an Academy Award winning director. He's not going to win an Oscar anytime soon. But I don't think he's ever directed any of his actors in any of his films to give bad performances or not been there for them. Because the acting in his films, if nothing else, is solid. I'm, I'm a big J.J. fan. And I, we all know that Star Trek 09 was his, his audition piece for Star Wars. We all know that. Um, but I like, has JJ screwed up a lot over the course of his career? Yeah, of course, but he succeeded way more and that, and I feel like he was built for this. I I feel like all of his qualities as a director and as a filmmaker have led him to this moment and he's a big Star Wars fan. He loves Lucas. He loves what he did. But at the same time, he realizes what Lucas did right and what Lucas did wrong because he has no connection to the man right? And or th- to the franchise. I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think – I have my fingers crossed that it could always go the opposite way. But nothing that he's done so far suggests that, he's go- that his films or this film 
will have the emotional hollowness that bothered me about the prequels from right. the, from the acting or from the story. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there you have it. I, I guess we sh- we should end on a ranking. Um, well, a definitive ranking of all six films, I would have mm-hmm. to go: Empire, Star Wars: A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Sith, Phantom Menace, and then at the very bottom, Attack of the Clones. Mine is exactly the same, except flip flop a New Hope and Return of the Jedi. So it'd be Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, and a very very bottom Attack of the Clones. So we we don't have we're not no not really, and I think I think most people feel the same way that we do. I I hope so, at least from what I know. So that does it for us until next week when we all see the Force Awakens. Till then. Um... Tristan, you want to tell them how you can contact us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can email us at contact at thenerdparty.com. We'd love to hear show suggestions from you guys and, and also just, uh, you know, what you think about the podcast. As I said at the top of the show, you can go to thenerdparty.com and find every single episode that we've ever done there as well as our blog. And you can also go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thenerdparty and talk with us, have a conversation. And if you want to have a conversation with us, you can also find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin. And you can find me at mhanson0207. Thank you so much for joining us on the Star Wars Retrospective. We're so excited to see the new movie. Till then, the Force will be with you always. Coming up next week. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd.